Hey, Drunk Mythology friends. I'm Kate. And I'm Other Jen. And I'm Kim. And we're the... The Drunk Dracula Gals. The Drunk Dracula Gals. Gals. Oh, I didn't know we were doing accents. I just <laughs> had to make I'm assuming that's what that was and you weren't having a stroke. <laughs> <laughs> that was an attempt at an accent. Yeah. Just mixing it up. Okay. Fair. <laughs> yep. So uh, this is chapter 14 of Bram Stoker's Dracula, celebrating the month of Drunk Dracula Gals, also called... We're deeply into Drunktober at this point. Oh, so very deep. <laughs> right? Yes. Yeah. And I'm not even going into the whole public yeah. domain. Yeah. If you, you know. If you know, you know. You know. Yeah. Exactly. So yeah. here we go. Back to merry old England. Woohoo! Yay! Okay. It's a recap. Yay! Recap Yay! time. Yay! Recap! Yep. Because here we go. For chapter 13, it's Funeral Palooza. Everyone's going to a funeral. Lord Salting Cracker goes to his dad's funeral, but we don't care. The guys all go to Lucy's funeral, which I guess is also her mom's. But again, we don't care. Ben Helsing gets a fit of Harker changing his mind because, uh, first of all, he's like, oh my God, we totally have to do an autopsy. And even though you were crushing on her, you got to help me carve her up. But then the next morning, he's like, yeah, never mind. Lord, God damn it. I mean, Lord Salting Cracker, I mean, Arthur Holmwood ends up inheriting a shit ton of money he didn't earn. Like, like most upper-class Englishmen in the 19th century, I guess. And again, we don't care. We don't care. <laughs> Van Helsing is, surprise, a patronizing asshole who doesn't answer any questions. Mina and Jonathan go to London and get a nasty shock, or not, because surprise, Harker changes his mind again. Uh, and finally, the Gazette reporter has never heard of editing for clarity because what the fuck is a bloofer lady? Anyway, yeah. carry on. We begin with Mina Harker's journal. 23 September. Jonathan is better after a bad night. I'm so glad that he has plenty of work to do. For, that keeps his mind off terrible things. And oh, I am rejoiced that he is not now weighed down with the responsibility of his new position. So he's like a house husband at this point. Yeah. Or a house cat, possibly. <laughs> I knew he would be true to himself and how proud I am to see my Jonathan rising to the heights of his advancement and keeping pace in all ways with the duties that come upon him. He will be away all day till late, for he said he could not lunch at home. My household work is done, so I shall take his foreign journal and mo lock myself up in the room and read it. Oh, shit. She's we'll going to read this, it. She's going to read it. 24 September. I hadn't the heart to write last night. That terrible record of Jonathan's upset me so. Poor dear, how he must have suffered, whether it be true or only imagination. I wonder if there's any truth in it at all. Did he get his brain fever and then write all those terrible things? Or had he some cause for it all? I suppose I'll never know. <laughs> for I dare not open the subject to him. And yet we saw that man yesterday. He seemed quite certain of him. Poor fellow. I suppose it was the funeral upset him and sent his mind back on some train of thought. He believes it all himself. I remember how on our wedding day he said, Unless some solemn duty come upon me to go back to the bitter hours, asleep or awake, mad or sane. There seems to be through it all some thread of continuity. That fearful count was coming to London. If it should be, and he came to London with his teeming millions, there may be a solemn duty. And if it come, we must not shrink from it. I shall be prepared. I shall get my typewriter this very hour. 
<laughs> I love her. And begin transcribing. Then we'll, she, we shall be ready for other eyes if required. And if it be wanted, then perhaps if I'm ready, poor, poor Jonathan may not be upset. For I can speak to him and never let him be troubled or worried with it at all. If ever Jonathan quite gets over the nervousness, he may want to tell me how of it all, and I can ask him questions and find out things and see how I may comfort him. Look, I mean, I I applaud her energy, but yeah. we got to talk about her choice of weapon. First, it's a safety pin. Now it's, now a, it's typewriter. a typewriter. Typewriter. <laughs> I mean, come on, you know, if the, if the zombie apocalypse was upon us, uh, I too would start transcribing furiously. Exactly. <laughs> I respect that. Letter van Elsing to Mrs. Arker, twenty four September. Confidence. <laughs> <laughs> Dear Madame, I pray you to pardon my writing in that I am so far friend as that I sent you the sad news of Miss Lucy Westendra's death. You know that little telegram you got? By the kindness of Lord Goddammit, a.k.a. Arthur's Resorting Cracker, <laughs> I am empowered to read her letters and papers, for I am deeply concerned about certain matters vitally important, like why you stab her with safety pin. <laughs> In them, I find some letters from you which show how great friends you were and how you love her. Oh, my entire body just creeped. My, <laughs> yeah. All my skin creeped. <laughs> oh, Madame Miriam, by that love, I implore you, help me with some transcription. <laughs> it is for other sake that I ask to redress great wrong and to lift much and terrible troubles that may be more great than you can know. And I'm not going to tell you either. Oh, of course not. May it be that I see you? You can trust me. I am friend of Dr. John Seward. You know, the guy who runs a crazy place? And of Lord <laughs> Goddammit. I mean, Arthur of Miss Lucy. <laughs> I must keep it private from, uh, for the present from all, because I like secrets. I should come to Exeter to see you at once. If you tell me, I am privileged to come and where and when. I implore your pardon, madame. I have read your letters to poor Lucy and know how good you are and how your husband suffer. So I pray you, if maybe enlighten him, not lest it may harm. Again, pardon and forgive me, which really means the same thing, Van Helsing. Telegram, Mrs. Hawker to Van Helsing. Watch, look for the warmth and, uh, and and love in this telegram to, right yeah. here. 25 September. Come today by quarter past 10 train if you can catch it. Can see you anytime you call Wilhelmina Hawker. <laughs> the end. The end. Stop. <laughs> Mina Hawker's journal. 25 Not a tingle September. anywhere. <laughs> I, can help, I cannot help feeling tell or terribly excited as the time draws near for the visit of Dr. Van Helsing. For somehow, I expected it'll throw some light upon Jonathan's sad experience. And as he attended poor dear Lucy in her last illness, he can tell me all about her. That is the reason of his coming. It's concerning Lucy and her sleepwalking and not about Jonathan. Then I shall never know the real truth now. How silly I am. That awful journal gets hold of my imagination and tinges everything with something of its own color. Of course it's about of course it's about Lucy. That habit came back to the poor dear, and that awful night on the cliff must have made her ill. I had almost forgotten in my own affairs how ill she was afterwards. She must have told him of her sleepwalking adventure on the cliff and knew that I knew about it, and now he wants to tell me. He wants me to tell him what she knows so that he may understand. Huh? And seen. 
<laughs> I hope it did right in not saying anything of it to Mrs. Westenra. I should never forgive myself if any act of mine. Like even stabbing her a, with a safety pin. How can we get past that? Even for a negative one brought home in my dear poor Lucy. I hope too Dr. Van Helsing will not blame me. I've had so much trouble and anxiety of late. I feel like I cannot bear more just at present. And my Xanax prescription, they won't refill it. <laughs> I suppose a cry does this all good at times. Clears the air as other rain does. Perhaps it was reading the journal yesterday that upset me. And then Jonathan went away this morning to stay away from me a whole day and night. The first time we've been parted since our marriage. I do hope the dear fellow will take care of himself and nothing will occur to upset him. Hint, hint. It is two o'clock and the doctor will be here soon. I shall say nothing of Jonathan's journal unless he asks me. I'm so glad I have typewritten out my own journal so that in case he asks about Lucy, I can hand it to him. It'll save much questioning. Later, he has come and gone. Oh, what a strange meeting and how it makes my head whirl round. I feel like one in a dream. Can it all be possible or even part of it? If I had not read Jonathan's journal first, I should never have accepted even a possibility. Poor, poor, dear Jonathan, how he must have suffered. Please, the good God, all this may must not upset him again. I shall try to save him from it, but it may be even a consolation and a help to him, terrible though it be and awful in its consequences, to know for certain that his eyes and ears and brain did not deceive him and that it is all true. Oh my God, did John, did Van Helsing actually tell her what happened? <laughs> it may be that it is doubt which haunts him, that when the doubt is removed, no matter which, waking or dreaming may prove the truth, he'll be more satisfied and better able to bear the shock. Dr. Van Helsing must be a good man as well as a clever one if he is Arthur's friend and Dr. Seward's, and if they brought him all the way from Holland to look after Lucy. He's better because he's imported. <laughs> like, cheese. <laughs> like cheese I feel from having seen him that he is good and kind and of a noble nature when he comes tomorrow I shall ask him about Jonathan and then please God all the sorrow and anxiety may lead to a good end I used to think he would like to practice I used to think I would like to practice interviewing Jonathan's friend on the Exeter News told him that memory was everything in such work that you must be able to put down exactly almost every word spoken even if you have to refine some of it afterwards here was a rare interview. I shall try to record it verbatim. Oh, my God. Here it we was go. Half, <laughs> it was half past two when the knock came. I took my, my courage à deux mains and waited. I took my courage in my two hands, correct? Mm-hmm. I took my courage à deux mains and waited. In a few minutes, Mary opened the door and announced, Dr. Van Helsing. I rose and bowed, and he came towards me, a man of medium weight, strongly built, with his shoulders set back over a broad, deep chest, and a neck well-balanced on the trunk, as the head is on the neck. Okay? The you are heading for a Pulitzer with this kind of prose, lady. Woo! The poise of the head strikes one at once, as indicative of thought and power. The head is noble, well-sized, broad, and large behind the ears. Ah. The face clean, his phrenology is a respected science. <laughs> the face clean shaped shows a hard square chin a large resolute mobile mouth a good sized nose rather straight but with quick sensitive nostrils that seem to broaden as the big bushy brows come down and the mouth tightens the forehead is broad and fine rising at first almost straight and then sloping back above two bumps or ridges wide apart such what? as a forehead it like this where the sinuses are in the front of your head such a that a forehead that the reddish hair cannot possibly tumble over it but falls naturally back into the side Big, dark blue eyes are widely set apart and are quick and tender or stern with the man's mood. He said to me, Mrs. Arkell, is he not? I bowed assent. 
That was Miss Mina Murray? Again, I assented. It is Miss Mina Murray that I come to see that was friend of that poor dear shal Lucy Westenra. Madame Mina, it is on account of the dead I come. Sir, I said, you have no better claim on me than that you were a friend and helper of Lucy Westenra. And I held up my hand. He took it tenderly and said, Oh, Madame Mina, I knew that the friend of that poor lily girl must be good, but I had yet to learn. He finished his speech with a courtly bow. I asked him what it was that he wanted to see me about, so at once he began. I've read your letters to Miss Lucy. Forgive me, but I had to begin to inquire somewhere, and there was none to ask. I know that you were with her at Whitby. She sometimes kept a diary. You not, need not look surprised, Madame Mina. It was begun after you left and was in imitation of you. And in that diary, she traces by inference certain things to a sleepwalking in which she puts down that you saved her. And stopped her. In great perplexity, then, I come to you and ask you out of your so much kindness to tell me all of it that you can remember. I can, I can, I'm starting to talk like, like uh, Quincy now. Quincy. <laughs> I can tell you, I think Dr. Van Helsing all about it. Ah, then you have good memory for facts, for details. It is not always so with the young ladies. Uh, oh, no, doctor, but I wrote it all down at the time. I can show it to you if you like. Oh, Madame Mina, I will be grateful. You will do me such favor. I could not resist the temptation of mystifying him a bit. Good ha! girl. <laughs> I suppose it is some of the taste of the original apple that remains still in our mouths. So I handed him the shorthand diary. <laughs> he took it with a grateful bow and said, Trolled. Right? May I read it? If you wish, I answered as demurely as I could. He opened it, and for an instant his face fell. Then he stood up and bowed. Oh, you so clever woman. I knew long that Mr. Jonathan was a man of much thankfulness, but see, his wife have all the good things. And will you not so much honor me and so help me as to read it for me? Alas, I do not know the shorthand. By this time, my little joke was over, and I was almost ashamed, so I took the typewritten copy from my work basket and handed it to him. Forgive me, I said. I could not help it, but I've been thinking that it was of dear Lucy you wished to ask, and so that you might not have time to wait, not on my account, but because I know your time must be precious. I've written it out on the typewriter for you. He took it, and his eyes glistened. You are so good, and may I read it now? I may want to ask you some things when I have read. By all means, I said. Read it while I order lunch, and then you can ask me questions while we eat. He bowed and settled himself in a chair with his back to the light and became absorbed in the papers. Well, I went to see after lunch, chiefly in order that he might not be disturbed. When I came back, I found him walking hurriedly up and down the room, his face all ablaze with excitement. He <laughs> rushed up to me and took me by both hands. Oh, Madame Mina, what? how can I say what I owe to you? This paper is as sunshine. It opens a gate to me. I am dazed. I am dazzled with so much light. And yet... Clouds roll in behind light every time. But that you do not, cannot comprehend. Oh, but I am grateful to you, you so clever woman, madame. He said this very solemnly. If ever Abraham Van Elsing can do anything for you or yours, I trust you will let me know. It will be the pleasure and the delight if I may serve you as friend, as a friend, but all I have ever learned, all I can ever do shall be for you and those you love. There are darknesses in life and there are lights. You are one of the lights. You will have happy life and good life and your husband will be blessed in you. And we'll cut off your head when the time comes. <laughs> you can trust me on that one. But doctor, you praise me too much and you do not even know me. 
not know you, I who am old, who have studied all my life men and, and women, I who have made my specialty the brain and all that belongs to him and that follow from him, and I have read your diary and that you have so goodly written for me and which breathes out truth in every line, I who have read your so sweet letter to poor Lucy of your marriage, of your trust, not know you? Oh, Madam Mina, good women tell all their lives and by day and by hour and by minute, such things that angels can read. And we men who wish to know have in us something of the angels' eyes. Ha ha, yeah. your husband is noble nature and you are noble too, for you trust and trust cannot be where there is mean nature. And uh, your husband, tell me of him. Is he quite well? Is that fever gone? Is he strong and healthy? Do I have to cut off his head? <laughs> <laughs> I saw an opening to ask him about Jonathan, so I said he was almost recovered, but he's been greatly upset by Mr. Hawkins' death. He interrupted. Oh, yes, I know, I know. I read that in your last two letters. I went on. I suppose this upset him, for when we were in town on Thursday last, he had sort of a shock. A shock? And after brain fever so soon? That is not good. What kind of shock was it? He thought he saw someone who recalled something terrible, something which led to his brain fever. And here the whole thing seemed to overwhelm me in a rush. The pity for Jonathan, the horror he experienced, the whole fearful mystery of his diary, and the fear of fear that he'd been brooding over me ever since all came in a tumult. I suppose I was hysterical, for I threw myself on my knees and held up my hands to him and implored him <laughs> to make my husband well again. He, yeah, because you did such a good job on Lucy. Right. He took my hands and raised me up and made me sit on the sofa and sat with me. He held my hand in his and said to me with such, oh, infinite sweetness. My life is a barren and lonely one and so full of work that I have not had much time for friendships. But since I have been summoned here by my friend uh, Jean Seward, I have known so many good people and seen such nobility that I feel more than ever. And it has grown with my advancing years, the loneliness of my life, because it's all about me. Believe me then that I come here full of respect for you and you have given me hope, hope. Not in what I am seeking of, but that there are good women still left to make life happy. Good women whose lives and whose truths may make good lesson for the children that are to be, because that is your only purpose. Oh, I am glad, glad that I may be here of uh, some use to you. For if your husband suffer, he suffer within the range of my study and experience. Lucky for you! <laughs> I promise you that I will gladly do all for him that I can, all to make his life strong and manly. And your life, a happy one. <laughs> okay. <laughs> now you must eat. You are overwrought and perhaps over anxious. Husband Jonathan would not like to see you so pale. What he like and what he like not where he love is not uh, to his good. Therefore, for his sake, you must eat and smile. Oh, hell no. <laughs> he just told her to smile more. Because that is what a woman do. Hmm? Smile and have the babies. That's right. <sighs> so you told me all about Lucy, and now we shall not speak of it, lest it distress. I shall stay in Exeter tonight, for uh, I want to think much over what you have told me. And when you have thought, I will ask you questions, if I may. And then you two will tell me of husband Jonathan's trouble so far as you can, but not yet. Because let's play this out. <laughs> you must eat now. Afterwards, you should tell me all. After lunch, we went back to the drawing room, and he said to me, And now, 
Tell me all about him. When it came to speaking to this great learned man, I began to fear to think that he would think me a weak fool. He's and never Jonathan, given any hint of believing that. No. Right. no. <laughs> and Jonathan, a madman, that the journal is also strange. And I hesitated to go on. But he was so sweet and kind, and he promised to help, and I trusted him. So I said, Dr. Van Helsing, what I have to tell you is so queer that you must not laugh at me or my husband. I have been since yesterday in a sort of a fever of doubt. You must be kind to me and not think me foolish that I even half believe some very strange things. He reassured me by his manner as well as his words when he said, Oh, my dear, if only you know how strange is the matter regarding which I am here, it is you who would laugh. I learned not to think a little of anyone's belief, no matter how strange it be. I have tried to keep an open mind, and it is not the ordinary things of life that could close it, but the strange things, the extraordinary things, the things that make one doubt if they be mad or sane. Thank you. Thank you a thousand times. You've taken a weight <laughs> off my mind. If you'll let me, I'll show give you a paper to read. It's long, but I have typewritten it out. It'll tell you my trouble and Jonathan's. It's the copy of his journal when abroad and all that happened. So basically she's like, ha, Jonathan, remember that journal we were never going to show anybody ever? Right. Yeah. <laughs> I dare not say anything of it. You will read for yourself and judge. And when I see you, perhaps you will be very kind and tell me what you think. I promise he said as I gave him the papers. I shall, in the morning, so soon as I can, come to see you and your husband, if I may. Jonathan will be here at half past 11, and you must come to lunch with us and then see him. Then you can catch the quick 3.34 train, which leave you at Paddington before 8. You should transfer to the red line, change trains to <laughs> and, and no, you're not invited to tea. He was surprised at my knowledge of the trains offhand, but he does not know that I have made up all the trains to and from Exodus so that I may help Jonathan in case he's in a hurry. So I took the pa- he took the papers with him and went away, and I sit here thinking, thinking I don't know what. <laughs> Letter by hand, then sent to Mrs. Harker. 25 September, 6 o'clock. Dear Madame Mina, I have read your husband's so wonderful diary. All right. <laughs> you may sleep without doubt. Strange and terrible as it is, it is true. It's oh. true. <gasps> <laughs> it's true. It's true. I will pledge my life on it. It may be worse for others, but for him and you, there is no dread. He's a noble fellow, and let me tell you from the experience of men, that one who would do as he did in going down that wall and to that room, I am going a second time, but not coming back with the key, is not one to be injured in permanence by a shock. His brain and his art are all right, this I swear, before I have even seen him. So be at rest. Worst doctor ever. Jesus. I shall have much to ask him of other things. I am blessed that today I come to see you, for I have learned all at once so much that I think again. I am dazzled. Dazzled more than ever. And I must think. Yours, the most faithful Abraham Van Helsing. Letter, Mrs. Harker to Van Helsing. 25 December, 6.30 p.m. My dear Dr. Van Helsing, a thousand kind words, a thousand thanks for your kind letter, which has taken a great weight off my mind. And yet, if it be true, what terrible things there are in the world. (laughs) And what an awful thing if that man, that monster, be really in London. I fear to think. I have to say this whilst writing. Had a wire from Jonathan saying he leaves by the 6.25 tonight from Launceston 
I'm assuming, and will be here at 1018 so that I shall have no fear tonight. Will you therefore, instead of lunching with us, please come to breakfast at eight o'clock, if this not be too early for you. You can get away if you're in a hurry by the 1030 <laughs> train, which will bring you to Paddington by 235. Do not answer this, as I shall take it that if I do not hear, you will come to breakfast. Believe me, your faithful and grateful friend, Nina Hawker. Wow. Okay. <laughs> Jonathan Harker's journal. 26 September. I thought never to write in this diary again, but the, but, but the time has come. When I got home last night, Mina had supper ready, and when we had supped, she told me of Van Helsing's visit and of her having given him the two diaries copied out and of how anxious she has been about me. She showed me in the doctor's letter that all I wrote down was true. <gasps> It, seem, it <laughs> seems to have made a new man of me. It was the doubt as to the reality of the whole thing that knocked me over. I felt impotent and in the dark and distrustful. But now Does that I know, that? I am not afraid, even of the count. Yeah, right, sucker. Is that code for something? <laughs> <laughs> he has succeeded after all then in his his design in getting to London, and it was he I saw. He has got younger, and how? Van Helsing is the man to unmask him and hunt him out, if he is anything like what Mina says. We sat late and talked it all over. Mina is dressing, and I shall call at the hotel in a few minutes and bring him over. He was, I think, surprised to see me. When I came into the room where he was and introduced myself, he took me by the shoulder and turned my face <laughs> round to the light and said, after a sharp scrutiny, But Madame Mina told me you were ill, that you had a shock. It was so funny to hear my wife called Madame Mina by this kindly, strong-faced old man. I <sighs> smiled and said, I was ill. I have had a shock, but you have cured me already. Uh, and how? By your letter to Mina last night. I was in doubt, and then everything took a hue of unreality, and I did not know what to trust, even the evidence of my own senses. Not knowing what to trust, I did not know what to do, and so had only to keep on working in what had hitherto been the groove of my life. The groove ceased to avail me, and I mistrusted myself. Once you've lost your groove, man, you're, that's yeah, it. There's a pill for that. Yeah. <laughs> pill for everything. Doctor, you don't know what it is to doubt everything, even yourself. No, you don't. You couldn't even, you couldn't with eyebrows like yours. <laughs> what the fuck? Kind of adorable. He seemed pleased and laughed as he said... I do not believe in waxing. <laughs> <laughs> so, you are physiognomist. I learn more here with each hour. I Is am, that the study of eyebrows? It's, May. Uh, it's I, part, yeah. It's why the Norse decided the eyebrows were the mountains of the earth. <laughs> I am with so much pleasure coming to you to breakfast. Oh, and uh, so you will pardon praise from an old man, but you are blessed in your wife. She's hot. <laughs> I would listen to him go on praising Mina for a day. So I simply nodded and stood silent. She is one of God's women, fashioned by his own hand to show us men and other women that there is a heaven where we can enter. 
and that its light can be here on earth. Ugh, oh, creepy. So true, so sweet, so noble, so little and egoist. And yeah, problem. And that, let me tell you, is much in this age, so skeptical and selfish. And you, sir, I have read all the letters to poor Miss Lucy, and some of them speak of you. So I know how you since some days from the knowing of others. But I have seen your true self since last night. Ha ha! You will give me your hand, will you not? And let us be friends for all our lives, because this is how I prepare the men I take into my little harem. We shook hands, and he was so earnest and so kind that it made me quite choky. <laughs> and now, may I ask you for some more help? <laughs> I have a great task to do, and at the beginning it is to know. You can help me here. Can you tell me what went before you're going to Transylvania? Later on, I may ask more help and of a different kind, but at first this will do. Look here, sir, I said. Does what you have to do concern the Count? Dun, dun, dun. Uh, yeah, it does, <laughs> he said solemnly. Then I am with you heart and soul. As you go by the 1030 train, you will not have time to read them, but I shall get the bundle of papers. You can take them with you and read them in the train. After breakfast, I saw him to the station. When we were parting, he said... Perhaps uh, you will come to town if I send to you and uh, take Madame Mina too. We shall both come when you will, I said. I had got him the morning papers and the London papers of the previous night, and while we were talking at the carriage window, waiting for the train to start, he was turning them over. His eyes suddenly seemed to catch something in one of them, the Westminster Gazette. I knew it by the color, <laughs> and he grew quite white. He had read something intently, groaning to himself. Mein God, mein God, such terrible journalism, and so soon, so <laughs> soon. I do not think he remembered me at the moment. Just then the whistle blew and the train moved off. This recalled him to himself, and he leaned out the window and waved his hand, calling out, Love to Madame Mina! I shall write this so soon as ever I can! <laughs> Merry Christmas to all, and to all a good Bye. Bye. <laughs> Dr. Seward's diary. The, remember when he said Fini? Uh, a couple of <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, 26 September. Truly, there is no such thing as a finality. Not a week since I said Fini, and yet here I am, starting fresh again, or rather going on with the same record. Until this afternoon, I had no cause to think of what is done. Renfield had become, to all intents, as sane as he ever was. He was already well ahead with his fly business. That's where the money is, by the way, in the fly business. <laughs> and he had just started in the spider line as well, so he had not been of any trouble to me. I had a letter from Arthur written on Sunday, and from it I gathered he's bearing up wonderfully well. Quincy Morris is with him, and, with that, and that is much of a help, for he himself is a bubbling well of good spirits. Quincy wrote me a line, too, and from here, from him, I hear Arthur is beginning to recover something of his old buoyancy. That was so fast. To, yeah, so as to tell them all, my mind is at rest. As for myself, I was settling down to my work with the enthusiasm which I used to have for it, so that I might fairly said the wound which poor Lucy left on me was becoming cicatrized. Cicatrized. Yeah, I had to look that up. Cicatrized. To heal yeah. a wound by scarring. So, uh... <laughs> Stoker might have said, I'm feeling better about things, but he went with cicatrized instead. Yeah. yeah. Everything, however, is reopened. 
somebody get the, bring me the safety pin. <laughs> and what is to be Let the end? Go. Of, <laughs> and what is to be the end? God only knows. I have an idea that Van Helsing thinks he knows too, but he will only let out enough at a time to wet curiosity, which is basically the story of this entire book so far. Right. Yeah. He went to Exeter yesterday and stayed there all night. Today he came back and almost bounded into the room about half past five and thrust last night's Westminster Gazette into my hand. What do you think of that? He asked as he stood back and folded his arms. I looked over the paper, for I really didn't know what he meant, but he took it from me and pointed out a paragraph about being chil uh, children being decoyed away at Hampstead. It did not convey much to me until I reached a passage where it described small punctured wounds on their throats. An idea struck me, and I looked up. Well? It's like poor Lucy's. And what do you make of it? Simply that there's some cause in common. Whatever Duh. it was that injured her has injured them. I did not quite understand his answer. That is true indirectly, but not directly. How do you mean, the professor? <laughs> I asked, grasping around the throat. <laughs> I was a little inclined to take his seriousness lightly, for after all, four days of rest and freedom from burning, harrowing anxiety does help to restore one's spirits. When I saw his face, it sobered me. Never, even in the midst of our despair about poor Lucy, had he looked more stern. Tell me, I said, I can hazard no opinion. I do not know what to think, and I have no data on which to found a conjecture. <laughs> I Help! Feel, I feel this so much. Do Dr. Seward is all of us right now. Yes! <laughs> do you mean to tell me, friend John, that you have no suspicion as to what poor Lucy died of? Not after all the hints given, not only by events, but by me? Oh my of God. nervous prostation following on a great loss or waste of blood. And how the blood lost or waste? Huh? I, sh huh? I, sh <laughs> I shook my head. He stepped over and sat down beside me and went on. You are a clever man, my friend Jean. You reason well. Your wit is bold. But you're too prejudiced. You do not let your eyes see nor your eyes hear. Uh, and that which is outside your daily life is not of account to you. Basically, you're an idiot. Do you not think that there are things which you cannot understand and yet which are, that some people see and that others cannot? It's called aromatherapy, but there are things old <laughs> and new which must be contemplated by men's eyes because they know or they think they know. Some things which other men have told them and I make no sense here. Ah, it is the fault of our science that it wants to explain all, and if it explains not, then it says there is nothing to explain. But yet we see around us every day the growth of new beliefs which think themselves new, and which are yet but the old, which pretend to be young, like the fine ladies at the opera. Ooh, burn, burn for no reason. Wow. Damn, sit down. I suppose now you do not believe in corporeal transference, No. Nor in materialization, no. Nor in astro bodies, no. Nor the reading of thought, no. Nor in hypnotism, no. And no vaccines either. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I said. Charcot has proved that pretty well. He smiled and he went on. Then you are satisfied that do it, yes. And of course, then you understand how it acts and how it can follow the mind of the great Charcot, alas, that he is no more, into the very soul of the patient that he has influenced. No? <laughs> then, friend John, am I to take it that you simply accept fact and are satisfied to let from premise to conclusion be blank? 
no? <laughs> then tell me, for I am student of the brain, how you accept the hypnotism and reject the thought reading. Let me tell you, my friend, that there are things done today in electrical science that would have been deemed unholy by the very men who discovered electricity, who would have themselves not so long ago been burned as the wizards. There are always mistakes mysteries in life. Was it, why was it that Methuselah lived 900 years? Did he? I... And old par, 169, and yet poor Lucy, with four men's blood in her poor veins, could not even live one day. For had she lived one more day, we could have saved her. Huh? Did you know all the mystery of life and death? Do you know the altogether of the comparative anatomy and can say wherefore the qualities of a brute are in some men and not in others? Can you tell me why, when the other spiders die small and soon, that one great spider lived for centuries in the tower of old Spanish church and grew and grew until descending, he should drink of the oil of all the church lamps? What the fuck? Wait, what? Oh, <laughs> shit. Can you tell me why in the pampas? Like that horse, I and Israel, and there are bats that come at night and open the veins of cattle and horses and suck dry their veins. How in some islands of the Western Seas are the bats which hang on the trees all day, and those I've seen described like giant nuts <laughs> or pods. <laughs> and when the sailors sleep on the deck because it is hot, they flit down, and then, and then in the morning are found dead men, white as even Miss Lucy was. Good God, <laughs> Professor. <laughs> I said, starting up, do you mean to tell me Lucy was bitten by a bat and that such a thing is here in London in the 19th century? He waved his hand for silence and went on. Can you tell oh, me good, why more questions? <laughs> Can you tell me why the tortoise lives more long than generations? Oh my God! <laughs> I'm going to walk into traffic. Go ahead. <laughs> I'm right behind you. Why the elephant goes on and on to the obscene dynasties? Why the parrot never die only a bite of cat or dog or a complaint? Can okay, you parrots are not immortal. That is just not true. <laughs> Can you tell me why men believe in all ages and places there are some few who live on always, if they be permit, that there are men and women who cannot die? We all know. Do we? Because science has vouched for the fact that there have been toads shut up in rocks for thousands of years, shut in so one small hole that only odium since the youth of the world. Huh? Can you tell me how the Indian fakir can make himself to die and have been buried and his grave sealed and corn sowed on it and the corn reaped and be cut down and sowed and reaped and cut again? And then the men come and take away the unbroken seed, and there lie the Indian fakir, not dead, but they rise up and walk amongst them as before. Here, oh. I interrupted him. <laughs> <laughs> I would have interrupted him with a shovel to the back of the head. Thank you. He just interrupted him. I was getting bewildered. He was so crowded on my mind, his list of nature's eccentricities and possible impossibilities, that my imagination was getting fired. I had a dim idea that he was teaching me some lesson, as long ago he used to in his study at Amsterdam, but he used then to tell me the things so that I could have the object of thought in mind all the time. But now I was without this help, yet I wanted to follow him. So I said, Professor, let me be your pet student again. <laughs> Tell me the thesis so that I may apply your knowledge as you go on. At present, I'm going, I'm going in my mind from point to point as a madman, and not a sane one follows an idea. I feel like a novice lumbering through a bog in a mist, jumping from one tussock to another in the mere blind effort to move on without knowing where I'm going. 
That is a good image. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I shall tell you. My thesis is, I want you to believe. Oh, believe. Watch the X-Files Oh, my God. (sighs) To believe in the things you cannot. Let me illustrate. Oh, Oh, Jesus. I heard once of an American who so defined faith, that faculty which enables us to believe things which we know to be untrue. For one, I followed that man. Of course oh, you do. On Twitter? On Instagram? <laughs> <laughs> on Facebook, actually. <laughs> he meant that we should have an open mind and not let a little bit of truth check the rush of the big truth, like a small rock does a railway track. We shall get the small truth first. Good, we keep him and we value him. But all the same, we must not let him think of himself all the truth in the universe. Then you want me not to let some previous conviction in your the receptivity of my mind with regard to some strange matter. Do I read your lesson aright? Ah, you are my favorite people still. Good for fucking me. (laughs) Yay. It is worth it to teach you. (laughs) And now that you are willing to understand, you have taken the first step to understand. You think that those small holes in the children's throat were made by the same that made the oil in Miss Lucy? I I suppose so. He stood up and said solemnly, Then you are wrong! Oh, Oh, God. Oh, would it work so? But alas, no. It is worse. Far, far worse. In God's name, Professor Van Helsing, what do you mean? I cried. He threw himself with a despairing gesture into a chair and placed his elbows on the table, covering his face with his hands as he spoke. They were made by Miss Lucy. And that's where we will put a shovel to the back of its head today. (laughs) Thank you. Right? I want to take a shovel to the back of my own head with this. God. (laughs) I mean, if the X-Files were like this, each episode would have been like 15 hours long. Right? It would have been Game of Thrones. (laughs) This whole thing, the whole basis is nobody communicates. At the very beginning, if they had communicated the first time, if, okay, Mina, when they go out on that cliff and and she finds her sleepwalking, I'm doing air quotes around sleepwalking, if Mina had spoken up, exactly, the whole rest of the book would be done. Yeah. I mean, if they'd said, okay, we can't leave Lucy alone because she's a danger from something that might come from outside the house. These are the things that could prevent that. And by the way, we should probably let the maids in on the fact that they shouldn't take the garlic or steal the crucifix. Right. Well, this would have been a much shorter story. A uh, whole lot what's, shorter. What's coming in the next chapter? Exactly. <laughs> well, um, Dr. Seward gets offended. Van Helsing plays truth or dare and actually takes the key with him. Ha ha. And we are, are, are we finally going to get some answers? Ha ha ha. What do you think this is? A well thought out story? Oh my oh, God. I can't wait. Groan. <laughs> Groan. Oh, and don't forget to check us out on Patreon at patreon.com slash drunk mythology girls. That's right. Over on Patreon for the month of October, we have a $1 tier drunk Dracula gals. You can get all these Dracula episodes as soon as they are done done getting polished (laughs) that's right (laughs) plus you'll also get access to all of our other lit crit hour episodes where we read fairy tales childhood stories uh there's some gems in there there's some really good stuff you can call them gems i like that i Mm -hmm. like that 
Um, yeah. Thanks for joining us. Please subscribe, leave a rating, a review, and tell your friends and family about us, If they, especially if they begin to have verbal diarrhea about all the medical shit that they've been learning on about on Facebook, especially like things like aromatherapy. And do you have an idea? May you believe this? There's a bat. Oh my God. Finally, always remember, if the undead can behave badly, then so can you. Thank you.